one of the Red Bibles, uh, and Chris is going to come uh, and read for us. The reading is 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13, to chapter 3, verse 5, and can be found on page 1190 in the Red Bibles. We also have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and the page numbers for those are on the screen above, starting at verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and deed. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chris, thank you. Well, let's pray. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Father, we so ask that you would do that for us now. Change our hearts, direct our lives, that we may know more of you and of our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Well, in that Bible reading, Paul prays to the Thessalonians, so he says to the Thessalonians, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured. Paul is asking Christians to pray for him, not so much for himself, as that through him the gospel message will spread rapidly. Because what you do as a church in South Manchester has global repercussions. And both together as a church and each of you individually have far greater spiritual impact and opportunity than you realise. And this evening, I want to show that to you. Here's what we're, we're going to do. Uh, our Bible reading was from uh, a letter from Paul, an early Christian leader, writing to a church he had established, the Thessalonians. And just to keep it very simple, I just want us to ask two questions from this passage. Two questions. First, what is a church? And second, what does a church do? What is a church? What does a church do? Now, Okay, you may think you have some answers to that already. Well, fine, okay. But let's just see what this passage says. So, what is a church? You may have heard it said that a church is not buildings or denominations or an institution, that a church is people. And that's what we find here. 
See what Paul calls them in verse 13. Verse 13, he writes, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. These are people loved by God. They're a family made brothers and sisters by the God who loves them. That's who they are. Reading on it says, God chose you as first fruits to be saved. These are people saved by God, saved now from the judgment that is to come. Reading on, saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He changes our status so that we become good and pure in God's sight. That's how salvation is applied to our lives. Through also what is here called belief in the truth. The truth about Jesus and what he's done for us. So that belief and trust in Jesus is the defining understanding and commitment which shapes our lives. And Paul here is saying that this belief is given by God to us to bring our salvation. It's just wonderful stuff. But for the Thessalonians, entering into God's love and salvation, it didn't look impressive or spectacular. In fact, at the time, it looked really rather weak. In verse 14, Paul says, God called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, to give them an eternal share in the glory of Jesus, God did not send an array of angels shining with heavenly light. No, he sent Paul, a person, with a simple message, the gospel, the the announcement of good news, of, of peace with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God called them into this great salvation using the mouth of a bloke called Paul, who just shared the gospel with them. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul describes what happened. He wrote that, with the help of God, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. You see, the message Paul took to them about Jesus was not even welcomed by most people in their society. It was met with opposition, with hostility. And it took real courage for Paul to open his mouth and speak about Jesus. And humanly speaking, it's remarkable that anyone believed him. But some did, the ones he's writing to now. And so a new church came into being in that city. You see, God has planned wonderful things for his people, for people to enjoy his love, to to enjoy belonging to a new family, to gain a new status, to gain true understanding with a whole new future ahead, sharing in glory. And all of this comes to us. We experience God calling us into all of this when someone else has the courage to share the gospel with us. It takes just one person sharing news of salvation through Jesus for people to be saved and for a new church of God to be established. That's how a church comes into being. We share the message of the gospel with all people and we watch to see who responds. And in essence, that's what a church is. It is that group of people who have responded to news of Jesus and through faith in Jesus have entered into the love of God forever. But there's one more thing we'd have to add. 
You see, because churches come into being through people speaking the gospel message, it is essential that churches keep track of what the gospel message is. You know, when we had younger children at birthday parties, they, they play, you know the game Whispers, where, where, where one person whispers a message to the next and it goes round the circle, and the more the message gets passed along, the more it gets changed, and so you give them to play it because the game always proves that it goes wrong. Well, if that were to happen to a church's understanding of the gospel, well, within some time, it would cease to be a church in the way we've just described. For a church to remain a church, it must stay faithful to the message that has been delivered in a world of competing messages. That's why verse 15 is so important. Verse 15 is where Paul says, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. It is critical that each church takes steps to ensure it doesn't slowly drift away from the message of Jesus, but stands firm in the truth by which we're saved. We need to take the, the words taught by uh, Jesus through his apostles like Paul and hold on tight. And notice Paul says that this teaching is written for us in letters, such as the one we're reading now. The New Testament, most of it, is uh, letters from the apostles to churches. You see, if we think of a church only as the people who God has brought together, we're missing something still. One of the distinctive hallmarks of a church is that churches organize themselves to preserve and maintain the faith, to stand firm and hold on to the message written for us in the Bible. Now, why am I saying all of this? What's it got to do with uh, sort of a mission Sunday today? Well, if that's what a church is, here's what I wanted to show you. If a church has the gospel, the message of salvation in Jesus, and that church has a Bible in their language, then by God's grace, that church is now able to reproduce and to sustain it applies to you here at the Holy Trinity Platt. It applies to the church I'm a member of in Oxford. It's true for every church around the world. You can now reproduce and sustain. By sustain, I mean that a church with the Bible in their language is able to build itself on God's word and avoid the sort of boom-bust of growth in one generation followed by drift and decline in the next, of gaining strength only to fall away. When Paul says we're to hold fast to the teachings that he passed on by letter... He's saying that the way we continue in the truth that brings salvation is to hang on tight to our Bibles and reproduce. Uh, by that I mean, have you ever thought about this? That because a new church can come into being anytime someone shares the news of Jesus, it means that every church has the potential to reproduce, to, to start new churches, shall we say. If we think of churches as buildings or denominations or institutions, well, the idea of starting a new church sounds terribly hard. Right? You'd need a committee to organize it, fundraising, planning, complicated deliberations. But if a new church can spring into being anywhere that someone dares to speak about Jesus, well, all that's swept aside. If you read the book of Acts, you see Paul never actually spent very long with the Thessalonians in the first place. 
the citywide opposition to him and his message about Jesus was so strong, there was a riot against him, and he had to escape through the night. He hadn't actually been there very long. But apparently, just a few weeks later, by the time he writes his first letter, he said this church is already reproducing. In 1 Thessalonians 1, he says, the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, which is the region where they lived, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. The gospel message came to them through Paul, and now that same message is ringing out through their whole region and beyond. They believe the gospel that they heard, so they start sharing that gospel so that others too might believe. That's how new churches come into being. When those who have received the gospel start passing it on to others, to others in their city, working out from their city to their nation and around the world. If we have in our heads this understanding of church in which that couldn't happen, or if we have believed the lie that churches today only decline and not grow, then we've misunderstood what church is. We have the gospel, we have the Bible in our language. Nothing more is needed. The gospel should be ringing out from us. That's all it takes, from Manchester to the UK to the world. And, yeah, we might not get the same response that the, the, same, that the Thessalonians did when Paul was there. Though, so, mostly, that was relief. The Thessalonians were severely opposed and persecuted. But, we should have the same courage and show the same initiative, the same perseverance. God is calling people into salvation through the gospel message, and he places us then in churches where we can feed on God's word. So letting people know the gospel message is our main priority, longing to see others come to Christ, giving them access to God's word just as we have it for ourselves. That is what has happened to us, so that is what we do for others. Now, normally at this sort of point in topic, you know, preachers like me start using the M word, mission. And perhaps some of you were ahead of me. Perhaps you could see this coming because it's a sort of mission sort of Sunday. And uh, I said there's going to be two questions. Uh, what is a church and what does a church do? And you're thinking, well, James is like a mission speaker. So by the time he gets to what a church does, he's going to talk about mission, yeah? You saw it all coming. But no, I'm not even there yet. Just hold on, hold on. I'm saving that bit for later. We're still on this topic. What is a church? But do you see, we can't even talk about what a church is without seeing that it is in the essential nature of churches that we are outward-looking and concerned for the world around us. The story of our lives is that someone shared news of Jesus with us, and that was how God saved us. Then the immediate implication is that we will do the same for others, no matter how hard, that others too may join God's family and share forever like us in the glory of Jesus. If our life as a church is sustained by God through being built on God's word in our language, then straight away we will be concerned that all God's people should have God's word in their language to keep them on track also. You can't really say what a church is without noticing 
that one of its characteristics is that it seeks to reproduce, to start new churches, giving people Bibles so that they can continue themselves faithful and strong. And that in this way, the process of of church planting and church growth is to be a continuous cycle. Yes, sometimes in some parts of the world, that is easier and happens quickly. Sometimes in some parts of the world, that is much harder and takes much greater perseverance. But this should be on the heart of all churches. In the words of Jesus, we're to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. And those new disciples, in turn, are to do the same for others. So if you put all that together, Platt Church is to be a church which starts churches that start churches amongst all social groups in this country and all nations around the world. And we're each of us to make disciples who make disciples, locally, nationally, and internationally. Now, I guess really that's what organisations like Wycliffe Bible Translators are all about. If one in five people alive today do not have the Bible in their language, then that is going to be a significant factor in hindering the spread of the gospel and the growth of churches. So far, us from the UK, uh, the largest uh, language group we're currently engaging with has 19 million people. 19 million people with just a few, just a handful of known believers um, people say, well, well, why do you work there if there's no Christians? Like, why do they need the Bible? Well, what do you think? Well, surely part of the answer is that there are no Christians because they don't have the Bible, you know? Until someone translates the Bible for them, how will the gospel message come to them? How will churches be formed which are able to sustain and reproduce to reach those people for Christ? You need the gospel in people's languages to be able to share it well And you need the Bible in people's languages for them to get the same access to God's word that we all just take for granted. Now, I I thought it might be interesting tonight. Um, I've apologized already to James if I just add a few minutes into my talk. But I just thought it might be interesting tonight to share with you about a church that is coming into being right now as we speak. And I want to to read a report that I received um, in my role. Here's what it said. Actually, just to explain, it's slightly written in code. When it talks about an insecure area, it means this context is very dangerous indeed for missionaries. When it talks about a majority religion, that is Islam, uh, speaks of religious leaders and clerics, um, meaning leaders of mosques. And when it talks about a courier, it's talking about a Bible smuggler. or or an evangelist in that difficult context. Okay, so let me read it for you. This is happening right now. About 1.5 million people who speak a certain language can read the Arabic script. They do not understand Arabic, but they believe that the Arabic script is from God, and they get blessed just by reading it. So we printed the New Testament translation using the Arabic script in their language. It is beautifully presented and looks like a holy book. Those who see it want to read it. Many religious clerics have read it in secret and become believers, some forfeiting their lives by doing so. Without really trying too hard, about 8,000 copies, all that were printed, have been distributed to people of this language group all over the area. The results have been astounding 
People who have never read anything in their own language before pick this up and just start reading. Many copies have been distributed inside a very insecure area. We are even aware of one majority religion leader who was desperate for, quote, the weight of guilt to be lifted from him after he had killed some Christians, believing that doing so would bring him a special blessing from God. He begged advice from a courier who had to feign ignorance. The courier didn't want to be killed. But who gave him a copy of the New Testament and told him, people said that the answers to his questions were inside that book. Many of those who can read this script are sincere truth seekers, and when they read the message, they are almost immediately willing to commit their lives to it. They spend long hours reading the New Testament cover to cover. They read it so much that some of their New Testaments look tattered and well used, even though they are fairly new. A large reprint of these scriptures is being printed now and is planned for distribution amongst this increasingly closed-off population. Friends, is that not exciting? Forget about Brexit and the general election. Forget Donald Trump and his impeachment proceedings. Is that not amongst the most significant global events in the world today? Shattering the darkness, changing lives, giving people a share in eternal glory. Don't you wish that you could be part of something like that? Well, Paul says you can. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says, pray. Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured. Pray that the news of Jesus would not delay, but would spread like wildfire. Pray that those who hear it would not reject it. Pray that they would welcome it and honour the Lord Jesus with their response. You see, the churches that see new churches starting, whether in the UK or around the globe, those are the churches that pray for this to happen. Those churches and Christians who have in their hearts that what we have received should be urgently made available to others, and so they prioritize this in prayer. You know, Wycliffe Bible Translators is not a church. All we can do is, is serve churches like this one and Christians like you to help you engage internationally, to help you play a greater role in what God may be calling you to be. And we'd love to resource you with prayer information On the stand, we've got little prayer cards that you could use, uh, or we can send you in the post our our prayer diary if you'd like to to try that. I mean, after all, why belong to a big church like this one if you're not going to encourage each other to pray big prayers to the God who said he is enabled to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? Now, I should say something about that second question, shouldn't I, having bigged it up at the start. What does a church do? What does a church do? Well, okay, yeah, you've noticed I've already started answering that question. You know, I couldn't help it. A church that doesn't do these things, sustaining, reproducing, isn't what a church is supposed to be. In chapter 3, verse 4, Paul says, We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. The church that is sustained by God's word will do God's word. We'll, we'll put it into action as we live out the teaching we have received, both individually 
and supporting one another to do the same. So perhaps, if we had the time again, perhaps a better question would have been, how does a church do that? How does a church do that? Because this is all very well in theory, but what does it look like in practice? I mean, there can be so much spiritual apathy in this country. We, we start to wonder if people around us would even really be interested in hearing about Jesus. We, we can feel tempted to, to give up trying to share the gospel, to just keep quiet and hope for the best. Just leave it to others. We're often willing, maybe, to settle for being part of a church that is sustaining us with God's word without seeking to reproduce Never stopping to ask, what sort of church is it that we're sustaining if reproducing is only on our wish list and not on our to-do list? So I find it quite helpful in the middle of this reading, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where it says, what Paul desires for the Thessalonians, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. This is how we do it. This is how it works in England and around the world. This is how it works for those who must leave and move to other British cities that lack gospel workers. This is how it works for those of us who must be sent out globally to the many unreached people groups waiting to hear the good news. Paul is saying here, look, look at what God has done already. Verse 16 speaks of the God who loved us, seen at the cross, seen in sending Jesus to die for us, seen in saving a people who did not deserve it to be his own. God loved us and by his grace, it says, he has given us eternal encouragement and good hope, a new future to look forward to. And since that is what God is like, see what he wants to do for us. Verse now, verse 17, to encourage our hearts and to strengthen us in every good deed and word. Notice that combination there of deeds and words. Christians are people who have been changed by the Holy Spirit so that we start to love our neighbor as ourselves. And and practically speaking, other people will start to notice the difference. They'll see how, how we treat others differently, how we're motivated differently by love. So, so good deeds will emerge from our lives. It's kind of inevitable. Christians can't help but help others. That's who we become as God remakes us in his image. But also their words. God strengthens us to speak. To speak of Jesus to our world. Evangelism based on God's word to speak of Jesus to each other, discipleship, building each other up on God's word. So deeds and words, not words without deeds, not deeds without words either, but both together, deeds and words, godly living and godly speaking, being like Jesus both in what we say and what we do. That's how churches do it. That's how churches reproduce in diverse social settings in this country and across diverse cultures globally, all in prayerful dependence on God and reliance on his power alone. Even here, we would have to say this is not necessarily easy. I don't know about you, I can understand why I would need God to strengthen me to speak about Jesus. 
Uh, we can fear that to speak of him might bring ridicule or, or turn people against us as if that would be the worst possible thing, which it isn't. And it's not even necessarily the case, but we can fear it and be overcautious. But did you notice that here in verse 17, it says we need the same strengthening for the deeds as for the words? In chapter 3, verse 4, when Paul talks again about deeds, in the following verse, verse 5, he has to pray, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. You see, the deeds he's talking about can be as much of struggle as the words. Perseverance is needed. That will be true of the, the whole Christian life, and we could talk about that. But since we're thinking this evening about mission, let's just zoom in on, on, on mission only. Mentioned the need to pray to pray for the gospel to spread rapidly and be honoured. But the reality is the gospel only spreads as far as people travel and as far as others pay for them to go. When you think about countries with few Christians, typically it is not that there are no Christians, that there are no churches, so much as those churches that exist are too small to start new churches. They're just too small for the scale of the task in their context. And that the only way they're likely to be able to grow and start reproducing anytime soon is when some other people would kindly relocate to help them in the work. In a place like this, we, we may not appreciate the urgent need around the world. Imagine you're an unbeliever. What opportunity do you, as an unbeliever, what opportunity do you have to hear about Jesus? 1.4 billion people alive today live in communities where fewer than 1 in 10,000 people is a believer. Of those, uh, for 1.1 billion people, they live in communities where fewer than, sorry, well, 1 in 1,000 is a believer, 1.4. 1.1 billion live in communities where there's fewer than 1 in 10,000 is a believer. Of those, for 860 million people alive today, they live in communities where fewer than one in a hundred thousand is a believer. 830 million people have no or almost no known Christians in their people group. 830 million people have no or almost no known Christians in their people group. And that's 11% of the world's population. You do not have access to the gospel where there are no followers of Jesus to listen to. You do not have access to the gospel where there is no Bible in your language that you can understand. Let me give you a, a specific example. Consider India. In India, there are 458,000 villages with no known Christians. India has loads of Christians. There are loads of Christians in India. It's a very big country. But there are still too few to be able to reach their country on their own. It needs others to join them. And sadly, the majority of languages there are still awaiting Bible translation, which is making the problem worse. And more people are needed to do the same. Is anyone here today willing to go? Who might go and get a job in a very different sort of city and relocate to support a church that is calling out for more workers? Who might take their skills overseas and have a very different sort of career, whether with Wycliffe Bible Translators or another good mission organization, to advance the cause of the gospel globally? And you say to me, James, well, you're, you're putting some pressure on now. 
But I pray that God would strengthen some of you here today for this good deed, for this persevering lifestyle of putting your own welfare and aspirations behind the needs of the gospel to step up and help weak churches sustain themselves in God's word and to help take part in reproducing churches where there are none so that all people everywhere might have easy access to the news of Jesus and his salvation. Jesus himself came to seek and save the lost. That is to say that relocating for the sake of others, stepping outside your comfort zone, laying down your own life for their salvation and providing the funding for this to happen is the greatest good deed of all. I was in the app store on my phone a little while ago and it recommended to me an app for church leaders to help them keep track of their performance indicators. So, you know, with my app, I could measure the size of the growth in size of the church, how many people come. The number of converts could be tracked, the rise in income, how much money has been given, and so on. I'm imagining the next version may have some sort of TripAdvisor score rating on the preacher's sermons, I don't know. It's all completely nonsense, of course. I'm not even going to mention which country it came from so as not to embarrass any Americans who may be present. <laughs> but it was striking. If you're going to measure, why measure things? If you're going to measure things, it was striking what was missing. If you're really stupid enough to measure something, why not measure how many people were sent? Why not measure how much money was given away? Many of you, the majority of you, will be called by God to stay in this area, to reach people in this great city, and to produce new churches here and in this region. And you will need courage and perseverance to do that. But the impact will be limited unless in each generation a new wave of people relocate to continue the work elsewhere. Might today be the day that some here commit to relocating for the sake of a greater purpose and others who stay commit to seriously supporting them in prayer and money. This is Paul's concern. He says, pray for us that the message of the gospel may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. See, because when the gospel comes to us and we honour it by accepting it, our prayer concern from then on should be for mission workers that through them the gospel message would spread rapidly as many hear about Jesus and be honoured by people turning to Christ so that new churches are established. But it takes people to go and do it. And it takes workers to go that the rest of us can pay for and pray for. Friends, I think this should be your prayer concern for Manchester if it is not already that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly through this city and be honoured. It should be your prayer concern for this country, if it is not already, that this country may discover the message of Jesus and honour it. And it should be your prayer for our world. And it should be your prayer that Holy Trinity Platt might not be known for how many people come or how much income is raised, but for how many people go and how much is given away. Let's pray.
pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. Father God, thank you that the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for us, has reached us. And we're mindful of those who haven't heard in our neighbourhoods, in our workplaces, in this region, and in far too many parts of the world. And Lord, we know it, that others will not hear unless some go. So please make us those who take part in spreading the news of Jesus rapidly, that it may be honoured in this part of the world, and please raise up amongst us those who can be sent out to carry on this work elsewhere, that all people might be given the opportunity to hear and believe the good news for themselves before it is too late. For the greater honour and glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.